Down to the Nub Podcast, the cigar podcast show focusing on premium cigars and good times. With industry leaders, cigar giveaways, interviews, and more, here are your hosts, Cigar Show Tim and Brandon Cigar Mechanic Wells. Let's get it started. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number six of Down to the Nub Podcast. And uh, we're going to be joined by a really cool guest this week, so I'm excited for this one. But uh, yeah, it's it's starting to warm up here. Summertime's coming. It's starting to get hot, all those different things, and uh, the seasons hot. are changing. So hopefully, hot. yeah, hot for California. So <laughs> hopefully we can get past all the stupid coronavirus stuff and get done with that season and get back to whatever normal life looks like after that. But how you doing, Brennan? Dude, I'm excellent. And I can't believe we're already on episode number six. It seems like we just started I- this yesterday. I know. When I was getting this all ready, I looked and I was like, oh, is it five? Is it? No, it's six. Holy cow. We're already there. We're already here, man. It's kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited. You're saying it's getting hot over there, dude. Like, I love it when I call my dad in California and LA. He's like, oh, it's so hot. It got to be 92 degrees today. I'm like, really, bro? It's like 115 here. Like, ooh, yeah. hot. Today was 96 or 97, so, Oh, yeah. man, I feel so sorry for you guys. We were a nice, cool, balmy, you know, uh, like 107 today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, count your blessings. Yeah, try and, I'm, I'm just thankful that the lounges are opening back up here, that everything's yes. going on, because, like, all these guys would be melting right now if it wasn't for this, trying to smoke on their patios and have a cigar. It's like, how do you relax in 107-degree weather and smoke a cigar? Yeah, everybody's running out to Walmart and getting the twelve dollar little kiddie pools and sitting in those. Can you imagine <laughs> Walmart selling out a little round, you know, sixty gallon kiddie pools because all the guys are sitting there trying to cool off with a beer and a cigar? Can you imagine like you're driving through your neighborhood and there's a bunch of dudes sitting in kiddie pools in their front yard, man, with like ice cubes and stuff. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. Everybody's cherry red. And they've all got bandanas around their face and masks. What's up? We're cooling off. <laughs> oh geez bro oh, that'd, that would be beautiful that would be awesome oh yeah 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 well it, it's, I, it is hilarious though because i ride a motorcycle and six months ago uh you know people obviously you know that you know i've got my concealed carry for here in southern california or for california and six months ago if i would have gone into a place with a mask and my motorcycle helmet on and been carried i would have been looked at as the the worst criminal in the world and now it's just normal i had one guy look at me in my motorcycle helmet and go dude that's the best covid mask i've ever seen and i said hey, it was just easy i was lazy i didn't want to take it off yeah right no it just works these places i require masks and I was just trying to think of all the unique and fun masks because they just say require masks. They don't say like an N95 or what type of mask. So why couldn't I wear like a Spider-Man mask or something, you know, just silly. And people have done it. People have oh, done it out there. Just face coverings. They're like, you know what? As long as it covers your face, they don't care. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's open to interpretation because you're going to have people that are taking out nylons and throwing them over. Well, it's cloth and it's covering my face. So does that count? <laughs> you're gonna look like the guy robbing a bank with the nylon over your head <laughs> he's got the leggings sticking out and the second legs behind you like tucked into your shirt flapping around <laughs> oh dude oh, what are you smoking man. right now man i am smoking a gran habano black dahlia sdk i love this mm-hmm. stick it's the robusto size and you know 
everybody talks about having a rotation and this is one of those cigars that is forever in my rotation. When I first had it back a little over a year ago and fell in love, it was one of those that, yeah, I know there's tons of good cigars out there, but this one just hits a sweet spot with my palate. You know, uh, Grand Abano's doing some great things. They, they originally had their core line and then, you know, George started working on some boutique lines along within the brand and the, the boutique stuff he's coming out with is just phenomenal. Uh, I'm smoking oh, yeah. the blue and green right now. The, oh, uh, the dude, this thing is is just this quickly as soon as it came out become became in my top five Connecticut's like immediately. Oh yeah, the, the first time I got to try it. Yeah, I mean, I had one. Uh, I mean, you shared one with me, and so I had one. Whatever it was, about a year, year and a half ago, and tried it. And was just like, holy moly! I I need to get more of these. And you know, that's what I love about Grand Habano is you try one and you love it, and you try another one and you love it, and you go. Well, I don't want to say this one's better than that one because they're both amazing. So now I'm just going to keep trying more and they never disappoint. Yeah. yeah. No, they're always there and they're always on point. They have been for, I mean, just countless years now. I mean, holy crap. It was like the early 90s they came out originally. And I mean, they've been just, just kicking ass ever since. And I mean, oh, yeah. the, the, new, the new boutique line, you know me, I'm a boutique guy. Yes. So like the new boutique side of their stuff, man, is just, God, it's just fire, dude. Absolute fire. So I'm I'm enjoying this thing. I haven't eaten much today either. So this is gonna be a fun one. I, I mean, this is it's not too overpowering, but it's a nice like it's got that little bit of extra strength over a standard Connecticut, mm -hmm. but yep. it's got this so, it's so full of flavor that you could expect it to be a stronger cigar because of that flavor profile in it. Yep, but it's it, it's smooth, it burns great, great flavor, all that. It yeah, it's always it's awesome. Always, always. Well, well I'm excited for Habano. I was going to say, I'm excited for our guest. We have got George Rico with Gran Habano joining us uh, this week. And so let's get him in here and then let's get the conversation going. What hey, up, guys, George? Good to see you. Good you to see as you, well. Man. How you Brother, been? We appreciate, we appreciate you joining us, man. How are things going? No, things are great. I mean, overall, over the, you know, over the last uh, couple months, has been sort of stuck at home. But things are doing well. We've enjoyed our, our, our time off, kind of, but it's now time to get back to work, you know? I love the qualifier. We've been enjoying our time off, kind, kind of. of. <laughs> yeah. It gets boring after a while, real fast, actually. Yep. Well, you are, you are not a stay-at-home person. Like, that is just not in your blood. I haven't been on a plane for three months, and I'm dying. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Does your body know what it's like to not inhale recycled air? <laughs> Probably not. Because you've never recycled air in three months. Like, do you I miss fighting with someone over the, the armrest and all things. So <laughs> I miss it. I actually do it. Uh, enjoy traveling a lot. So it's kind of it's kind of getting to me at this point. Yeah, and you've been you've been getting around, man. Before all this hit, you were really getting out there and getting around and and making the rounds because you've you've got a lot to talk about with people. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, like you were discussing some of our new stuff. It's uh, really sort of hit. Uh, a particular palette and a particular uh, customer and they're enjoying it. And it, it was good to get out there and sort of share the message. And, um, you know, some of the new stuff is just really taken off. So I, it's great to go out there and tell people about it. Yeah. Well, you did a killer job with this one. I'll tell you that. I appreciate it. I love that cigar. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, and the black, black Dahlia is, is right up my alley. And, and I'm much more of a mild, mild plus to medium cigar smoker. And the Black Dahlia hits it, and the Blue and Green both. I mean, the Blue and Green was on my top 10 cigars of 2019 because it's that good. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I try to cover the palate as much as possible from the mild all the way to the medium to full. Um, I don't go anything 
far to the, the full body spectrum, you know, but I, I try to cover as much as possible to have people give people options and, and let them smoke a cigar, not only in the morning, but also at night and enjoy as many cigars as possible. So that's sort of my, my idea behind blending the cigars, medium to full mild also. So. Yeah. You want to hit the, the biggest portion of the market. I mean, the, the, the biggest portion is that that new cigar smoker up into, you know, the avid cigar smoker, which is going to be in that medium plus range. You know, you've got a handful of guys that are really into that full thing and they say, Hey man, kick me in the teeth as hard as you can with a cigar. That's yep. not that's not the biggest part of your market. So you're you're really I mean you're hitting that and you're you're focusing on that and doing a very good job at it. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean we I, we want to be able to give it to to the novice, but also to the sophisticated smoker. And that's really where sort of my focus is on people that could really understand what the blending process and what the flavors that you get out of the whole cigar. So as as people evolve from full bodies back to medium bodies. Hopefully they could appreciate a Gran Habano, especially all the boutiques. Yeah, very cool. Well, I know I do. <laughs> I, I need more, no. more samples for yeah. you. <laughs> I need yeah. more samples. <laughs> you, you can send all his samples over to me, George. I'll I'll, I'll take them and, and taste test them all. <laughs> I'll charge you a, a small fee. Okay. <laughs> I'll, man, I'll, um, I'll, I'll pay for these, dude. I have paid for them. Well, I'm glad. Hey, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what Helping the go. cause, right? There you yeah, go. Right? Got to support. <laughs> so you, speaking of, of Gran Habano and the process and everything that you go through, um, let's talk about the process of coronavirus. You were uh, one of the first, if not the first, manufacturer with your entire process that had to essentially shut down and put everything on hold due to coronavirus. Share with with us sort of what that looked like and how many aspects of your manufacturing and, and rolling and that whole process uh, were impacted by that. Well, I mean, it, it was really scary at first because my focus was really more on the fact that, um, you know, the states were closing up and our biggest market is here in the U.S., so when we started closing up and states started like California as one of my biggest markets started closing up, um, that was my main focus. Uh, and then I started to get fearful when I contacted the factory to uh, ramp up as much production and get it out as soon as possible. But in the process, um, they put out like a 1155 uh, warning that they were going to close the country in Honduras. And then by 12 o'clock, it was shut down on a Sunday night. And then that completely affected our business because we were completely closed. Uh, the borders, everything was closed for about close to nine weeks. And it affected us from not only getting uh, tobacco from Nicaragua, which, are, you know, fortunately for the Nicaraguan people, that was still open. But mm -hmm. we grow a lot of our tobacco in Nicaragua and Jalapa. We couldn't get that. The factory was completely closed and rolling shipments. It was it's just it's actually still affected me tremendously because We've only received one shipment from the time that the factory closed to uh, when they opened up two weeks ago, but we haven't been able to get a shipment in after that. So it's, it's horrible. Um, yeah. it's, it affects production. Um, the, the production numbers for this year are going to be down. Um, right. Overall, people were very scared, uh, which I understand, especially in a country like uh, Honduras, uh, you know, the healthcare system could be overwhelmed easily. So uh, one of the issues that they had were that we were not able, once we opened up, to have enough people come to our factories. We had to put uh, into place different systems in order to 
uh, get our rolling. So it's, it's been very tedious. It's a learning experience. Um, it's worrisome as a business owner, as a small uh, business owner, cigar manufacturer. We are a yeah. niche market. And that doesn't allow us to really have the flexibility of making mistakes. Uh, right. So that's where we're at. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen next, but uh, hopefully production will be able to go back up. Yeah, I remember when that shipment came in. I saw the photo of you laying on all the boxes, and like <laughs> yeah, that look on your face, dude, just like pure joy. You, uh, we literally—I—I I, I was so bored. I think I posted at one point. I, I was playing basketball by myself in my warehouse, waiting for orders. <laughs> then you, but realistically, I—I I, I was running out of product, and it's yeah. scary because you know people are calling me, yelling for their products because they have customers, and we just don't have the product. So um, it's starting to come back up. We, we have three shipments coming in. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's a good thing. And we're actually trying to fly them out as quickly as possible as opposed to putting them in a container, which is usually what we do. But we just want to get the merchandise out. Yeah. Yeah. No. So what does that look like down on the farm end? I mean, so, I mean, I know a lot of people don't understand the full process. Some people do. But, you know, kind of the thing I was thinking about is, you know, that tobacco has to constantly be turned during the aging process and the fermentation process. What does that look like down there? If they're, if you're not able to have people in the factory, is, is do you have a whole bunch of ruined tobacco now? Or were you still able to send people down in there to at least maintain the product? Well, that's what we were kind of technically doing where we were having like a skeleton crew coming in and being able to toss the, the pilonis. Um Fumigation has to be done every 15 days. That's sort of the you know standard for us. We do it even if uh, you know we want to avoid ever having bugs. Uh, if anyone at a cigar shop has ever dealt or in a humidor or at their house ever dealt with bugs, once you get them, if you can't get rid of them right away, you're screwed. I mean that's, yeah, that's, that's the so our policy is to fumigate between every 10 to 15 days, and we were able to continue to do that. My biggest concern was the pilones because we had just yeah. received the shipment from Nicaragua. Um, and it was it was about 300,000 pounds. So you're talking about 70-something pilones. And, you know, people don't realize, but if, to, tobacco could get ruined within a couple of hours. Uh, if the temperature goes up fast enough, um, and it's uh, in this instance, it was new tobacco that just came from the farms, um, what ends up happening is that they just have too much moisture. And once that happens, if you don't take care of them, I mean, you, you'll lose. So we... Thank God we have a lot of space. We were able to break down the pylones, have the tobacco air out as much as possible, fumigate. But realistically, it's it's very scary because you're sitting on inventory for this year, next year's crop, uh, production, and you can lose your livelihood in, in a matter of hours. Um, so it was a very scary uh, scenario. We were able to get people to come in, help us out. Uh, but uh, like I said, it's, it's just a very scary situation. Yeah, because there's more than just the cigar sitting there. I mean, and that's what I think. You know, as you as you kind of grow in in your in your cigar knowledge, and as people kind of become more and more involved in the cigar industry and start learning really what goes into the process of making a cigar, you know, it's interesting because I remember when I started, I never thought about these piles of tobacco that are being turned by hand constantly, and the temperature in the center, you know, because it's that fine line between fermentation and biodegradation, really, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're sort of uh, you're 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 looking to age the materials and cure them, but at the same time, you're controlling the decay of the leaves in order to get rid of the 
so sort of the impurities that we don't want in that product. Right. So right. that's it's the most important part actually of any cigar is that if you don't start with good materials, it's like you know, like I always say, it's like a chef. If you don't start with good uh, flour or anything else, eggs to be able to make a great product or steak, it's the same with tobacco. I mean, if you want to make a great cigar, you have to start with great tobacco, and the curing process outside of the farming process, which is the most important to begin with, is the curing process is the most essential before you get into cigar making. So it's uh, everything is important uh, and everything has its own uh, sort of secret to be able to create a cigar. And so, yeah. Yeah, well, and you've got a, a unique opportunity and advantage in some ways compared to other manufacturers because you, you make all of your own cigar boxes. But even through all of this, the ability to create those boxes and, and build them and make them and cut the wood and do all those different things so that when the production is ramped up and is going and you're back, you know, back running, you've still got to make sure that that part of the fulfillment in that process takes place. And some people look at it and go, oh, well, he's got all the boxes. He can take care of it and make it easy there. But you've also got to take into consideration how many people can you have there at the same time, close proximity, all those different things. So everything from your your perspective and your operation does have to be evaluated and there can be some challenges that other manufacturers may or may not have. They may look at it as an advantage or a disadvantage one way or the other, but it, it's interesting from Grant Habano's perspective because you do have the full process and all of that, but yet that still could present additional challenges that other manufacturers may not have. So what are you guys doing through that whole process uh, when it comes to the boxes and, and are you able to keep up with what's going on or is, is it even really affected at all? Well, um, what ended up happening was that our inventories were already, we we're ramping up for, for the beginning of, of our season, which is the summer season for the rest of the country. <laughs> um, so we sort of had a pause uh, in production, which, uh, you know, to a degree it stinks because we couldn't get our numbers, but that's more of a financial sales and, and, and meeting our quotas as a business. But so we built up inventory for our trade show and our post trade show sales and, and, and posts. So what ended up happening was we're not affected yet by uh, because we didn't use those, those inventories. But what's going to end up happening is the future productions because it was that lapse in production and from wood to plywood production to whatever it is, you're going to mm -hmm. find out that that's going to eventually show up in the pipeline where you're going to have discrepancies of product out in the marketplace. That being said, um, what, what we found is that implementing our new systems, um, it was something that we had sort of an understanding of what we were going to do anyway because of the whole uh, FDA regulations and how we were uh, moving forward with our the way. It, it just the separation is now different. We have to have people six feet. Um, they have to really avoid themselves. Uh, we have, uh, you know, where they have to come in, uh, take, uh, take their temperature, uh, make sure that, that you know, they're, they're working in a workstation for primarily the whole day, which is difficult mm -hmm. to begin with. Where do they eat? Um, so what we ended up doing with our factories that we actually cut the amount of people that were coming in. Unfortunately, that's going to affect us now going forward because of the fact that we are not going to have the amount of pairs of rollers to be able to produce the quantity that we need projecting our sales from last year's numbers. Um, so Granabano as a brand, you'll be able to find it, but it's going to be harder to find probably from here to, we just don't know it because we're still dealing with it. 
Um, right. In regards to the boxes, I mean, you know, it, it got it to a point where I was just like, hey, if my customers would take them in bundles, <laughs> I'll give them in in bundles. Forget about the boxes. Right. There was that talk, but the reality is, sure. is that we were just not getting the product in uh, until about three weeks ago. It was the first shipment. Yeah, I was talking with uh, I was talking with another manufacturer about that, and I, I think that people are going to have to uh, start getting used to the fact that your favorite cigar may have to come in a bundle for a period of time because, yeah. and that's the thing that people don't realize is all the steps that were affected by this. Even the supply of yes. wood to make the boxes has been affected by this. So even if the box factory is open, can you get the wood in to make the box to make the boxes and so on and so forth and everything that you need has been affected the entire chain. So if we've got an abundance of you know plenty of cellophane, consumers may have to just get used to the fact that some of your favorite cigars might come in cellophane and may not come in a box. Um, how yeah. now looking at FDA and I know FDA has got a lot of like the packaging laws and all that kind of stuff. How is that affected? I mean, looking at a, a, a box packaged versus a bundle packaged, how is that affected there for either yourself or most manufacturers? Well, I mean, you know, for a manufacturer that's going to be, you know, it's going to be my 25th year. Um, so we have, a lot of our product is sort of his grandfather because we've utilized it for promotional purposes, for sampling purposes. So that packaging already existed for us, right. um, which we have that flexibility for new guys. I mean, you know, you, you know, I guess you run the risk for us. Uh, like I said, we, we have enough to be able to say, well, listen, we could bring in this product in a, in a bundle as opposed to a box. And that was the scenario. I mean, at the end of the day, we want the presentation of the product to be the presentation of the product. Sure. And if it yeah. comes in a box that's very unique, you know, and I try to make them as, as, as appealing as possible. But at the end of the day, they serve a purpose to protect the product. Um, so that's my number one priority. But if we weren't able to meet that, we were just uh, because, you know, as a business, uh, as a small uh, cigar manufacturer, you know, we're mid-tier, uh, essentially almost. Um, we we have to be flexible in knowing that it's all about numbers uh, when you're producing sales and everything like that as a business, but you also have to take care of the product, and that's my priority. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think um, you know realistically, and and I think you know we can all probably speak to this, but like I'm I'm getting tired of hearing all this crap about COVID. Like I just want to move on, right? Yeah. Like, can we just move on from it? Quit talking about it. I understand it's there. Let's be aware of it. But like, it seems like all the center of all the conversations, you know, of anything has been COVID related. And I, Tim and I talked about this and we really didn't want to do another episode or anything else talking about COVID. But with your perspective and everything that you have, I think it's important to, to understand not mm -hmm. so much talking about COVID and the sob story, but just what that looks like for a manufacturer that has every step of the process and can understand that. Um, is there anything else that you think that, you know, somebody that there's somebody may be important for somebody to understand um, looking at that process and how the entire process has been affected by this basically worldwide shutdown? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that people are going to have to understand is that life is a, a little bit different for, we just don't know the period of time that we're going to have. It could be another six months. It could be another three weeks. We just don't know. Realistically, we have to look at long-term and the reality is, is that we're going to have to adjust ourselves uh, to looking for cigars that we, uh, you know, and financially there's still a crisis out there that hasn't, it's looming. I think the mm -hmm. numbers haven't really come in. 
when people realize how they're affected with unemployment and all these things that are occurring, um, some of these uh, pitfalls that are going to appear, we're going to have to sort of adjust. That being said, um, just be reasonable, be understanding, uh, you know, production in not only my factory, but many other factories, especially in Honduras, which was shut down. I think they did the right thing. I think I would have wished that they gave us at least a week to know what was going on, uh, not <laughs> yeah, 10 right. minutes. Uh, but realistically, uh, what ends up happening is that I think people are going to have a harder time to find their favorite cigar out there. Uh, I think production are going to be sort of shortened and uh, projections are going to be sort of uh, put down a little bit. The numbers are not going to be where they were last year. We'll have to see at the end of the year, but I hope that people really stay safe. Go out and support your, your local uh, brick and mortar. I think yes. that's very important. I mean, I know it's great to be able to buy cigars and get them on through your mail, but uh, just remember that there's a lot of mom and pops that are, need your help. That creates uh, an industry that's, I, I think, at the end of the day, what we love. I mean, to be able to go and meet with people in a cigar shop is the yeah. most important and most fascinating thing. And what brings us together is cigars. So yeah. that being said, just uh, just be safe. Uh, realistically, uh, you know, it's scary. We just don't know what's going on. But I think long term, once the information, we start to really understand what's going on. Uh, I think, you know, the mask is something that we we don't look forward to. I, you know, I've always thought that was more like an Asian thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's there yeah. traditionally they wear them. We don't. Yeah. Um, I remember at the beginning of the year when this thing started happening in China, I was paying attention to it and I was at the airport and I used to see a lot more people wearing masks. And, you know, normally when I go out to California, LAX, you'll see that there's a lot of people that are coming through from Asia. But this was like uh, Philadelphia, uh, Dallas. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is for real. This is really this. This could affect me. Um, so that was always on the back of my mind that I might have to start wearing a mask. So it, it's something that you got to adjust to. Um, but I think realistically, I think people are doing the right thing. Um, mm -hmm. Just support your local uh, brick and mortar. I think that'll be the best thing that I could tell. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, go ahead, Tim. Oh, and, and brick and mortars, I mean, Brandon and I have talked about it, you know, since we started supporting the brick and mortars is really where supporting the entire supply chain for the cigar industry comes from. Yeah, there's the online orders and, you know, those different things. Now, if you're ordering online from a brick and mortar, you're still supporting a brick and mortar. But brick and mortars, the mom and pops, all those different things, they are the supply chain for the industry. And they, they, it's a small business mindset. They support it and they do it because they've got a passion for it. And it follows all the way through to the cigar, you know, manufacturers like yourself, George, and what you guys are doing because there's a passion for it. And there's, there's an understanding that uh, it, it isn't just about you. It's about the entire process and everybody being able to, whether it's enjoying the cigar from the end user and the consumer end, or whether it's the mom and pop at the brick and mortar, being able to support themselves, their families, you know, and make a living. Um, it, it's, it's definitely important to support the brick and mortars. And that's, that's the cool thing about, you know, Grand Habano and, and what you guys do is you guys understand that. And you, you've got the connection, you know, you, you've mentioned many times, you know, please do this and keep in mind that this is going to take place because you're aware of the personal aspect of it. And, and that's, that's what, um, 
I love about the cigar community is it is a personal aspect. It's a handshake agreement industry. It's it's face to face. It's hanging out with people. And yeah, we've had to adjust, you know, with the virtual hearths and things like that. But it's 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 cool to hear, you know, from your perspective, George, that Grand Habano is is and I knew it already, but that Grand Habano is right there in line with that. That it's all about, you know, supporting family, supporting the communities, and you know, making sure that that we know that there's going to be some challenges, but everybody's there to hopefully support everybody through the entire process. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, you know, realistically, I, I usually tell people it's, it's a sort of a line that makes no sense sometimes, but it, it does to me. But what gentrification is to a neighborhood, uh, consolidation is to industry. And the reality is, is that it's very convenient to be able to order online. I think it's phenomenal with, with this uh, uh, situation that's occurred. Um, but realistically, um, you're going to lose a segment uh, of our industry uh, with this. And, you know, there was a lot of people already, already struggling. I mean, uh, you know, it, yeah. the convenience of shopping online. But the reality is that mom and pops is where, where everything really grows, where there's a passion, uh, where as a new cigar smoker, you're going to go out there and learn from someone that's been in the industry. that might be second, third or even first generation uh, cigar store owner. But they have the knowledge that they could uh, share with you. Mm -hmm. And if you're a cigar smoker, I think that's what you should be sort of trying to protect. Um, that being said, I mean, all segments are great. You just there's always has to be a balance. In my opinion, it's all about balances. Well, and I think it's important to understand that. I mean, if you're online, brick and, if your brick and mortar has an online store, you know, get on and support them, your local brick and mortar. If not most brick and mortars across the country are either now open or they're at least doing curbside service. And a lot of them have already started making the adjustments that if you call them and need it shipped to you, uh, they will ship to you. You just have to kind of go old school and pick up the phone and call. It's yep. no longer just an anonymous click, click, click. And there you are. So don't forget that you can pick up a phone and call your local brick and mortar and support them. And, you order your grand Habano from your local brick and mortar store to keep, to make sure that they're there when you, get through this i yeah. mean that's so so vital and i think so often we forget that because i know that i do a lot of stuff online and it's funny because i can put out something there from a brick and mortar and you know, i'll get a couple people that will call in and they'll buy that product but if i put out something online where we can just click on a link so many people are, will jump so many more will jump on that link mm -hmm. and it can even be the same product but guys don't forget your phone still works and you can pick it up and call your brick and mortar and help them stay open and that's important. Yep. Yeah, well, and, I, and I think through this, quite a few people have probably taken that approach and almost made it a more personal industry as opposed to going, oh, well, I wouldn't normally order from there, but I know I've got this one here. I'll try new sticks or, you know, do different things. And, and, and I think it has, you know, in some ways made it more personal for some brick and mortars. For others, you know, they, they gravitate towards online and, you know, they're going to do what they feel is best for them, whatever path they decide. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to see how things like this take place and we almost kind of reset ourselves and go, okay, what's the most efficient way to do it? How can we do it so that it makes sense and still, you know, have the connection and, you know, make sales, provide for our families, do all those different things. So it's interesting to see how we go through sort of a cycle of, okay, let's reset and get back to the basics and see what we can do to still connect with each other. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's 100%. I feel that now, you know, sometimes when people are shopping, they'll probably look at the fact that, yeah, there's a price uh, difference uh, because states are different, uh, state taxes are different. But now you'll really understand being locked in at home, what it is to be able to have that 
that one shop that you could go and hang out in. And what you're paying for a little bit more is really that physical space that you're going to find all these interesting characters in. Um, yeah. Some of them you might not agree with, some of them you, you might hate, some of them you, you might love, but I think that's what really makes it an interesting place. Yeah. So I look forward to seeing more people out there. Hopefully this is not going to be forever. I know it's not going to be forever, but it's going to be, you know, however long it's, it's going to have to take. Um, but I can't wait to go out and meet people and talk to them. I'm, you know, as I'm already talking to myself in my head all day. I can only do that for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you ever sit there and talk to yourself and you give yourself a really good answer? You're like, oh, that was a good answer. Like, yeah, oh, I like... do that in a car a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then you thank yourself and you give yourself a pat on the back and it's like, okay, yeah. I feel <laughs> and then you realize that you're sitting there talking to yourself and you look at the guy next to you that's driving that they're looking at you like you're just wacky and i mean the, the one of the best things that ever came about was you know the, the wireless phones and all that stuff so that you can have like that bluetooth connection so when you're sitting there talking to yourself it at least looks like you're on a phone conversation you know <laughs> i gotta tell you when those things came out for the first time it was the worst it was the worst um yeah. you know people probably gotten used to them but it was weird walking next to someone and they're talking and you're like What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just odd. I mean, I know a lot of people have talked about that over time already because, you know, we've gotten accustomed to it. I yeah. still don't get accustomed to it. It's just weird. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Hear somebody answer the phone and they go, Hi, how are you? And you're like, I mean, I've turned around before and said, Hi, can I help you? And they're like, Okay, so for dinner tonight, we're going to, I was like, Oh, you're totally not talking to me. Even worse, you get the guy that's like, yeah, and, and then they look point. at you like you're stupid because you didn't realize he was on his earbuds, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they look at you like, what are you doing? You're distracting my phone call. Sorry, you're talking to my ear. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see George bouncing along in his car, man, just talking to himself. <laughs> I do. I, I do the whole. <laughs> yeah, because you're an animated guy. I mean, you you are. You're pretty animated when you're talking. And so I could just see you, man, just pointing at your windshield, having a full-blown conversation with yourself. It happens a lot. <laughs> it's a, I argue with myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, sometimes, you know, and listen, sometimes we go into some shops or you're getting ready to go somewhere and you just, you kind of have that conversation before you go in and have the conversation or, you know, it may be a shop that you struggle a little bit with building that relationship. So you're going to have a conversation with the windshield to kind of prepare yourself, you know, like. I do it all the time. I, I mean, trust me, I'm driving the next account and I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. And then, no, 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 no. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm actually saying these things out loud. What is wrong with me? <laughs> do I need medication? <laughs> the voice wasn't just in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about this blue and green. Cause I, I absolutely love this thing. I mean, I, I know a good amount about it, but tell me a little bit about it. The inspiration of it, you know, the blend on it. Mm-hmm. So the blue and green is a project that I worked on for about four, four or five years. Um, it's something that I put down and came back to a couple of times. Um, I really always wanted to make Connecticut that was more medium to full. Uh -huh. uh, not really thinking of a full body. Uh, I think a Connecticut usually is more of a mild cigar. I think it's a really nice wrapper. And I wanted to make it more medium as, as flavorful as possible. Um, and so this is a great cigar, in my opinion, uh, a, a great representation of what a medium body Connecticut could be. Uh, it's not spicy. I think it's very creamy. It has a little bit of boldness at the beginning and then mellows out. It's nice and creamy. Um, it's a Nicaraguan filler. 
um, and Nicaraguan binder, and then it has a U.S. Connecticut wrapper, which is uh, a really nice, unique, nice wrapper. Uh, I think it's a little bit different take from your traditional Ecuadorian wrapper, which we mm -hmm. use on our Connecticut number one. Um, mm -hmm. So I wanted to do something, you know, that sort of limits the production on this cigar uh, because it's a hard wrapper for someone that doesn't grow that particular wrapper in, here in the U.S. The limit uh, of, of that production is very, every year is getting less and less and less. So oh, it's wow. a great, great cigar to try in a different version of what a U.S. Uh, Connecticut with a Nick Robin filler could taste. Yeah, it's a beautiful wrapper leaf. I got to tell you, I mean, there's something about that USA grown Connecticut wrapper leaf that is just, it's, it's different than the Ecuadorian wrapper leaf, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it just, uh, you know, for me, sort of the way they cure the Ecuadorian, I think it's great. But the problem that I have is that I could really taste the, you know, and if you ever see how they cure the, the Ecuadorian Connecticut, you, there's a, a residue that I don't particularly enjoy. And I pick it out every single time. And uh, in the U.S. Connecticut, you don't get that because it's such a frail, uh, frail small, uh, you know, thinner leaf. Uh, it's hard to handle to begin with. So it doesn't have that that other process. Yeah. And it's definitely got a little bit more of a like a tan color to it. It's a little bit a little bit of a darker Connecticut, not dark, dark, but like it's definitely a little bit darker than that Ecuadorian. Uh, well, for this one in particular, since we're, we're utilizing probably different grades of the U.S. Connecticut that you would. Normally, the U.S. Connecticut is really blonde. Um, yeah. And there is variation in, in ours because it depends on the grade. Like I said, it's hard for me to get it at times. Um, sure. Whereas the, the Ecuadorian Connecticut, that one tends to be a little bit more reddish. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it, it's it, it's very. I could pick it out every single time because it has some little green dots. Sometimes that you'll find on there, which is nothing wrong. Um, that is just part of probably the leaf developing something before they picked it, so it's a little bit different. But I think it has a better flavor. Um, I think it adds to the blend as opposed to uh, take away from the blend. So uh, that's I, I really enjoy that cigar. Yeah, it's it's excellent. I think the first time I smoked this was in a Corona size, if I'm not mistaken. All right, yeah. So we have four sizes that we're doing in production. We have mm -hmm. a Corona, we have a Robusto Toro, and a Churchill size. Yeah, um, more traditional sizes uh, than what you normally see out there right now in the market. Uh, Churchills, are, I think, are great cigars. We make a, a 50 ring gauge, so it's a little bit heavier, uh, bigger ring gauge than a, your traditional 48 ring gauge that we make. Um, so I think it adds more because you're able to put more filler and then that wrapper is nice and mellow. So it really creams it up. Yeah. Yeah. This thing's phenomenal. Dude. I, need, I need more Coronas in my life when, uh, when you get some more of them, uh, I will send you some. Yeah. You got, sure. you got my address <laughs> and I'll accept bundles. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Right. A anything, anything to smoke it. I'll take it. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I gotta tell you, I was really struggling because there's a couple of, uh, Vitolas that I smoke and I went through all of them and I didn't, you know, I didn't get my sort of quarterly, uh, order that I bring for the cigars. When I travel, I smoke. And the Corona in that particular size is what I smoke as well. Right. Um, and I wasn't able to get it from the factory, so I didn't smoke any sort of the sizes that I enjoy. So I've been smoking more Toros and Robustos. I don't dislike them, but it's just for me personally, I like the smaller ring gauges. So it's been tough for me to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jonesing, man. I need it. I need a fix. Yeah. 
a guy no. that has a factory and I can't get the sizes that I want. Oh. <laughs> Now, now, have you been smoking more cigars? I know, obviously, you said you switched up Vitolas because you still want to enjoy cigars. Have you been smoking more since all this has happened, or have you been smoking less? I've actually, uh, believe it or not, I have been smoking more. I mean, I think I went back to what I normally would smoke. Um, I, for a period of time, I would smoke about three to four cigars a day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's being in Miami. When I'm on the road, I'll probably smoke like six or seven cigars a day. And, you know, that's normal yeah. going from cigar shop to cigar shop. You want to change it up, your palate. Uh, cigars get bitter if you're in a car. You have to turn them off, talking a lot. So um, I, I went down to about two to three cigars for a period of time, then went to about two cigars, then one cigar a day. And then now with this whole thing, I, I had a little bit more time. That's what's great about smoking cigars. If you have time, you get to relax. So. Not having much to do in the warehouse and in the office, <laughs> I've been smoking a lot more. I actually got one of those folded out tables and put them in the warehouse, and I made a sh uh, makeshift uh, desk out there so I could smoke more. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, priorities, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you get the computer and you do your job. <laughs> there you go. Hey. That's how it goes. Yeah, you do what you do. I'm actually smoking less cigars. Which could because I'm not out visiting, you know, I haven't been out visiting the shops as much during this time, you know, obviously. And so I found myself like I smoke one, maybe two a day. And it is interesting because every time you visit a shop, you're going to light up a new cigar, you know, and, you know, typically you're going to walk in. And if, even if you got one half done, you're probably going to light up a new one with that shop owner because you're lighting up together. That's part of the process of smoking a cigar is you light up together, you have a conversation together and that cigar almost kind of times your conversation. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm fine. I'm actually finding myself smoking far less cigars right now than I was before this whole thing. Yeah, see, and I'm smoking more because <laughs> I'm working from home most of the week now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which is a good thing. I mean, overall, I think, you know, people are, are smoking more. They get to enjoy more. It, I mean, yeah. you know, this is kind of a, a it's kind of an interesting thing because I think more people are going to be staying at home after this working from home, which yep. is not a bad thing because you're going to be able to have that sort of office somewhere where you could smoke and work so yeah um it's gonna be kind of like a weird 80s reversion of like smoking at work right so i kind of look forward to that that being said um i've been smoking a lot more other people's cigars um, yeah i've actually gone through my humidor in the office and i have cigars from like 20 years ago um and i've been looking at stuff with that um one collection that i have is uh I think about I think it's going to be about two years ago. I went to uh, Dominican Republic for their uh, pro cigars, mm. and they give you these great little packages with like ten different cigars in a box. It's phenomenal, and so I've been looking at these cigars and I've started smoking them. And I got to tell you, there's some great cigars in that collection. Um, so anyone that ever has an opportunity, pro cigars, uh, Nicaraguan cigar festival. I know Honduras was trying to bring back their cigar festival. So when things open up. I would enjoy, you know, seeing people travel and really sort of learn the process. And I think, you know, Dominican does it better than any other country, but Nicaragua has been uh, behind that. So sort of go to the factories and enjoy seeing what, how we do uh, the day-to-day -day productions and the processes. And I think that will be really interesting. And you get to taste some really great cigars. Yeah. How is it for you to be able to sit down and smoke a cigar for the enjoyment of the cigar now more so than just, you know, as a part of your workday? Well, I got to tell you, um, I haven't done that much in the last, like, probably 10, 15 years. Yeah. More yeah. than ever, I appreciate cigars because my mind is not, you know, 
it's actually taken my time off. Uh, my, my mind uh, has been running with this whole what's going to happen with my business. Uh, what's, you know, after 24 years, am I going to stay in business? Uh, are we going to be able to, uh, you know, keep our doors open? So actually smoking cigars has made me relax more and sort of taking my mind off of the things. So, so the t- I, I think maybe that's why I'm smoking more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you're getting to smoke to actually for the purpose of smoking, which is not to say you don't enjoy cigars any other time, but now you're actually able to use it as a relaxation tool to sit down and focus on a cigar, enjoy that cigar, see what some of your competition is. And even though I know that you know most people in the cigar industry get, get along, it's still, I mean, it's business, right? It's still a competition. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, this is sort of like NASCAR. You love everyone, but I'll take you out if I can, you know, right? <laughs> but the point being is, is that, um, you know, it's a business, but yep. most, most, most of us are, it's a very close-knit community, um, you know, knowing people, doing events. Um, there's some great, interesting people out there uh, that share the same passion as I do, that have a different take on what I do. So so it's sort of interesting because you learn from people actually as you progress. Um, So it's been, it's been really enjoyable because of the fact that you're sort of, you know, even though while I'm smoking my own cigars, I'm critiquing if there's an issue with it to sort of when the factory opens up, I'm going to call and complain about this. But point is, it's sort of one of the things that you do, but smoking other people's cigars, I'm always very critical about sort of, what's their perspective on how they did a blend and why did they utilize certain materials so when you can pick those out within a cigar it's sort of very interesting because it it gives you just a different perspective about smoking not only is it enjoyable but then you're like analyzing it at a totally different level it's like wow what was his blend's perspective with using this broadleaf as an example as a wrapper Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's always great i mean uh, i love it a lot now, are you guys, speaking of blends and how you've had a chance to sit back and sort of enjoy other cigars, you know, sort of putting aside FDA and whatever they do or don't decide, are you guys working on new blends? Does this give you new ideas through this whole time to try and do anything, even though it may not be something that lives forever? You know, are those kinds of thoughts, are, are there any ideas or things like that that are potentially in the works for Grand Habano now after all this? Yeah, so we, we, we had a number of projects that were going to be uh, released this year that unfortunately uh, sort of I kicked them to the curve in a degree that, you know, we're not abandoning them, but we're sort of putting them aside to see what the outcome is. But there's a couple of projects that I was very excited about. There was a, the La Contra that was supposed to be released last year that came, was supposed to be released at the beginning of this year. Um, so it's a line extension of the Persian Kings. And um, four new sizes are going to be out on that. Um, nice. It's going to go to particular retailers that supported the, that particular line for a while. So that's going to come out later in the year. Uh, once the dust settles on the, all this, maybe, you know, once production, uh, and that's what I'm saying, production gets back on track. Right. We'll be able to focus on the new products. And then my goal was to sort of release two new cigars. One was our 25th anniversary. I mm. think that's sort of, uh, you know, an accomplishment for any business oh yeah uh, to do 25 years is, is tough my father started back in 1995 and it's sort of i wanted to create a cigar and we have blends in our portfolio that we've sort of ut- that we utilize throughout the uh, course of the years that are sort of pre-fda uh so we're okay but 
I, I'm always looking to do new blends. I mean, you know, that's part of the whole growing process of uh, evolving someone's palette, of the creativity of creating new products. And it's always fearful because, I mean, you know, I'm going to have to play within the realm of we utilize these tobaccos, but they're different crops now. Uh, right. I'm into the vintages. Um, so now it's like the vintage wrapper from this particular year. How do I uh, create this new blend using the same materials with different? And that's what our Reserva is. Uh, if you look at Granabano uh, Reserva, is it's sort of focusing on vintages. And uh, in our industry, what the outcome is going to be is that uh, as a cigar smoker, you're going to have to start looking at cigars as vintages. Yeah. This is a 2012 production as opposed to you know what it was it was the relief grown in 2012 so it's going to bring probably if anything is going to change the industry and it's going to evolve to even be more unique um and as a cigar smoker i think it's going to elevate your palate if you're utilizing the correct materials um so uh, i'm a big fan of that i can't wait uh we have a lot of blends in our portfolio of being around as long but i i do want to be able to be creative and that's my outlet. So you see it going in some ways like uh, like wine does, where you know, you know, twenty twelve was a great year for this particular cabernet or whatever it was. Twenty thirteen and fourteen weren't so great, but twenty fifteen, oh, get ready, it's going to be phenomenal. And that's sort of the, the direction it sounds like you see the cigar industry going, because then it'll be you know focusing on the specific year that that crop was created, as opposed to oh, we've got this new blend and we've got this new thing. It's going to be okay. You know, you had it in twenty twelve, you've loved it, you've you've you know really really enjoyed that one wait for the 2014 or whatever the case may be you know obviously newer years uh, but that's an interesting perspective and I, I think those are the kind of mind shifts that are going to have to take place for the industry and the consumers uh, to be able to understand that things are going to be different but as always the industry and the consumers will adapt yeah 100 percent. i mean uh you know our like i said earlier my reserve is a representation of what a vintage is it's mm -hmm. our corojo number five blend but it's utilizing tobaccos that when the cigars are rolled. So if you ever see my cigar boxes, they always have a year on them. And that's why my focus has always been on vintages and uh, having that mindset that the production 10 years ago was going to, or, or uh, it, it was going to go in that direction. So with our reservas, um, they're essentially seven to year old, seven to eight year old tobaccos of the Corona five blend then rolled in a particular year. As an example, we did the 2012 that's new. And then we let the, we rolled cigars in 2012. We let them rest and released them about two years ago. So you had a cigar that was almost, what, five years, uh, uh, seven years, I, I believe. Am I right? 2018 yeah. or yeah. 19. I don't remember at that time. So, um, so that's what the, the consumer is actually getting a cigar that is not only utilizing uh, vintage tobaccos, it was rolled for a long period of time, and it's a blend that you could go out there and taste it sort of younger, but then here's the vintage version of it. And I think as customers start to develop their palates and start picking out that sort of uh, flavors that come with aged tobacco, they'll be pretty excited. I think it's a, it's a, it's a different level, mm -hmm. and if anything, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give them a better experience. Yeah, that 2012 is... is that's, I think, one of my favorite from the Reserva. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a, you know, and it's funny. That's a good year um, yeah. for that production. Uh, the 2010 was phenomenal. The 11, yeah. 
I think was good, but I don't think it was as good as a 10. And then the 12 is very similar, but stronger, more flavorful than the 10. So yeah. that's what you'll find out there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely took that 2010 and brought it to the next level. And yep. that thing is that thing is great, man. It's it's I would completely agree that 2010 was good. The 11 was you know, it's not that it was bad, but I just think that 10 was was better than the 11 and that 12 was definitely the next level yeah. above that. I mean, if you want to take it to another level, if you ever get a chance to find a 2008, Ooh. I got to tell you, the 2008 Reserva was probably by far the creamiest, most flavorful cigar I've ever produced. So I recommend if, if, if there's a fans out there looking for Gran Habano vintage cigars, look for the 2008 Reserva. It was on a Habano number three blend, um, and it was just extraordinary. It's phenomenal. Oh, oh, it was the number three, not the number five on that one. Yeah, so it was in a blend number three. Um, oh. And it just, it was, it, I got to tell you, it was one of the creamiest cigars I've ever smoked. Wow. Oh, we're going to have to find some of those, Tim. Yes, yeah. we are. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. I mean, you know, with that, we started back in 2006 with our, uh, no, now uh, 2005, we started with the vintages, uh, with the Reserva project. Um, and it was very small productions every year until the 2010. That's when we realized that we sort of had grown our market and it was established as a brand. And our production numbers went up throughout the course of those years. But the originals, you know, you're talking about maybe 3,000 boxes, 5,000 boxes, as opposed to currently the regular reservas are between 12 and 15,000 boxes a year. So it's not, I mean, it's not a lot. It's a lot for us, but overall for the industry, for the, for the consumer base, it's not a lot. No, that's a big difference in available boxes and what you can find. That's for sure. Yeah. Now I want a 2008. I know, right? <laughs> I love begins. Damn it, George. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to go on a hunt and find something. Damn it, George. There's a lot of good cigars out there. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm pretty excited, man. And I, I think it's really cool to see, you know, to see you working through this, a positive attitude throughout the whole thing, because you, you really do have a lot of skin in the game. And I think that can be an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the, I guess the advantage is you're not sitting around waiting for another box factory to open up. You're sitting around waiting for your box factory to open up and you kind of have some control over that. But at the same time, you can kind of kick yourself in the butt if you're not ready for stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's for us, uh, it's all or nothing. And I think, you know, in respecting everybody, I think everybody's all or nothing sort of scenario as well, because if you don't own a factory, sure. you're depending on someone that could be affected entirely. But for us, uh, we've always felt that controlling the whole process is the most important because of scenarios like this. Um, outside of the fact that everybody in the city that I grew up is always wanting to cut the middleman, that's a traditional thing. We're like, no middleman for anything. We got to do everything ourselves because we could do it better. Um, so that's sort of our, our way of thinking and it, it gives us an advantage, but there is a huge, uh, sort of, uh, demand financially to be able to create that. Um, and it's tough for a lot of other people. I sometimes think that what if we were just a brand that produced cigars and, and I couldn't do it because I would be probably fighting with every factory in the world to make sure my <laughs> cigars are good. I'll be returning every shipment and then it wouldn't, you know, I probably be put out of business because I'm too critical. 
yeah. Well, and, and I find it I mean, that you you said an interesting point there because you and I were talking not too long ago, and um, we had we had some back orders on the blue and green, and I think this was a, a few months just before just before the whole COVID thing hit, and I you told me you said, listen, I got a bunch of the stuff in stock, but when I got the shipment in, I smoked it and it just wasn't quite where I wanted it to be able to release it to the public, and that really hit me as to just how passionate you are about Gran Habano and your products because mm-hmm. you didn't just get the shipment in and send it out. Even though you had some back orders to take care of, you wanted to make sure that the product was right on par with representing you properly before it went out. And when you were unhappy, you put a hold on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I drink a lot of wine, right? That's my thing. I, I enjoy wine and I'm one of those guys that there's probably cigar smokers out there that I'm looking for like the best $10 bottle of wine or the 10 the best 10 to $15 bottle of wine for my everyday even though I have a whole collection of wines but you know like everyone I don't want to touch it right so um, I would hate for someone to fall in love with the particular cigar and it's their go-to and they're spending a certain amount of uh, dollars and for me Grana Bottles is important because we stay at a price point not that we can't demand more. I think we could ask more for our product, but the reality is, is that I want to cater to those guys that could want to smoke multiple times. Um, I think it's 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 only one of the nicest things to be able to appreciate something that's so unique, that's handmade, and be reasonable in price. But then what if you get caught with the fact that it's not the same cigar that you smoked a month ago or yesterday or the week before? And for me as a consumer, I would hate that. Um, and I'm always thinking about that. Um, I'm thinking about that one guy that I've never met that if he ever met me, he would bitch me out about the fact that I, I did the wrong thing. And yeah. for sure, it's my job to do that. So I, I'm very passionate about putting cigars out there that are just right, that are going to satisfy the consumer to what mm-hmm. they were expecting from us. Well, and it goes to your reputation. I mean, at the end of the day, your reputation makes you or breaks you. And if you get the reputation of being someone that just puts out cigars and you go, who cares? People are going to buy them. If I upset you, I'll turn around and I'll find another customer tomorrow. It's not going to last very well. But if you can have the reputation of going, no, my quality control, even though you may not even notice the difference, but because I saw that this little thing I didn't care for or whatever the thing may be, that that just speaks to the end user not having any ability or any idea that anything was off at all they just know that every time they get your grand habano product it's at the best possible quality it could be at yeah it's it's one of the things that we strive for i mean you know a lot of people don't realize but at our factory we actually weigh every cigar we don't do the the wheels we draw every cigar we draw test every cigar Mm -hmm. Uh, we weigh them draw test them and then our quality control because of the amount of materials, if you look at our cigar compared to other cigars, you know, and not, not to say that there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has a different perspective on how they make cigars. We like to pack our cigars with a lot of tobacco. But in doing so, it gives you sort of the difficulty that it might not draw. So we do t- tubular style, which is harder. Um, but it, it gives you a better chance of it drawing better. Then we draw tests to make sure that, that every cigar that leaves our factory is draw tested. But we want to be able to give you that packed cigar that's going to give you a nice lit cigar for 45 to an hour and a half. And then, you know, if you pay seven or eight bucks for it, even better. Why not, right? Yep. 
Exactly. Well, yeah. I want to thank you, George, for coming on and your insight and sort of sharing from Grant Habano's perspective what what you did and how you're very strategic as to how you're going to get back into the market and in the industry and still making sure that you're not settling when it comes to quality for your consumers, but making sure that everything's still exactly the way that they've expected it to be and will expect it to be for years to come because we know Grant Habano is going to be around for years to come. So thank you for your time and for coming on. It's been great. I appreciate it, guys, and thanks for having me on. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone out there. And a big, great hug for all the Grand Abano fans. There we go. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Catch you soon. What a cool perspective to be able to see the whole process, how how he's strategic and rebounding, and even him saying, look, I've got my business. What's it going to do to my, you know, my financial stability? But I know that the decisions were made correctly to do what they did. Uh, yeah. Just go show that it's a well, well-rounded uh, perspective on, look, even though it's not the best for everybody, it was the best decision to be made for everybody in the end. Yeah, and I've gotten to spend some time with him, man. And I just every time I sit down and talk with him, I, I I learn so much and I gain so much perspective, and and I get to see more and more and more of his passion and how much he really cares about, you know, carrying on this business and moving it forward and taking it to the next level. And man, he just does a great job of that. He's so well planned out in everything that he does. Uh, we've had you know some planning meetings together between you know he and I, and it's just like, holy crap, I didn't even think about that. And you know, putting these plans into place to make sure that you know, not only is the business successful, but that the consumer is happy um, and how to provide the best value to the consumer. I mean, he's one of the, he's, he's one of the few that I see um, actually encouraging the shops to pass on, you know, deals and to make sure that, you know, we're doing everything we can to expose people to his brands because he does a great job with his brand. Yep. And he's, he's really there for the consumers, whether it's different shows, whether it's trade shows or whatever the case may be, he's there to participate and to be active in it. Uh, and and it, it shows and, and people are going to recognize that when they get to experience Grand Habano, whether they're meeting him or, you know, enjoying the cigars, the consumers can tell. They, they can tell a good quality product and, and company from one that they know just is there to crank out a stick. Yeah. And I love seeing him at the trade shows because people come around to sit down and talk to him and he's like, and he'll just sit back and chill. It's a conversation. It isn't a sales pitch. It isn't anything else. Like he mm -hmm. truly gets the concept of what the cigar industry is all about, which is the relationships. And he just sits down and just has a conversation with the guy. I mean, just chilled, laid back and enjoying the conversation and building that relationship. Cause that's, that's a priority. And if he mm -hmm. can't get in front of every single consumer out there, that's enjoying his products, he's at least passing on that relationship and his happiness and his passion through the shop owner and through whoever's selling it. And it, it really shows through. Oh yeah, I mean conversations that I've had with him on the phone with different you know things going on. You can you can tell that it's he's not there to he's not there to do anything other than connect with people. Hope they enjoy Grand Habano cigars and enjoy one with them. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean just I mean again we're blessed with an amazing guest, man. I just yep. I, I absolutely I, I adore George and, and and he's he's brought me so far in this industry, man, and been just a big part of my life. So um again, like when he listens to this later, man, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of this and sharing that perspective for everybody to see. Yep. All right, guys, that's gonna wrap it up for episode six of Down to the Nub Podcast. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. And if you want to check us out, follow us on our socials at Down to the Nub. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can check out all of our videos at youtube.com slash down to the nub and subscribe or ring that bell so that you know when we post new content and go live.
And don't forget, if you feel called to support us and uh, if you're able to jump on our Patreon, please, and, uh, you know, support us, pick one of the levels, you know, mm-hmm. all that money goes towards just uh, helping to support the show so that we can keep it on. And then anything excess, we want to turn back to the community and yep. continue to grow uh, the community and be a part of that. So your support is supporting the entire community. Yep, exactly. All right, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Down to the Nub. We will catch you next time. Have a great time. See ya.